0: The Twitterati, edu-celebrity. Chances are you've heard one of these terms before. They often refer to someone who's amplified their voice, become a thought leader, or have general influence in the ed-tech or more general education space. But most of them develop their reputation through blogging.
1: Can you also find fame and hopefully fortune as an ed-tech blogger? Yes. In fact, we've got a helpful podcast this week to get your blogging juices flowing and to show you how you can amplify your own voice through the medium of writing online. We'll talk to teacher and blogger Paul France and hear from our own CEO, Betsy Corcoran, about how to develop your skill as a writer.
0: All that, plus our weekly roundup of the EdTech News coming up. I'm Mary Jo
1: And I'm Michael Winters. Welcome to the EdSurge podcast. Let's get
2: started.
0: New teachers, we had a superb resource for you this week on the site. North Carolina tech facilitator Michael West brought 15 tips for how you can leverage technology to make the most out of your first year. Now, trust me, I know how stressful that first year or two can be, and oftentimes technology is the last thing you want to think about. But as West argues, tech can actually give you help and leeway to take the stress out of that first year. For example, Leveraging social media to meet other professionals can give you the PLC, or professional learning community, that you may be looking for. And by the way, use Choose to get valuable tools for your classroom early on in the year. It'll earn you valuable donors choose points that you can use later to fund larger projects that'll cost more down the line.
1: The world needs a better teacher icon. So argues Eliza Aufrichtig, a product director at Vocabulary. Eliza points out that Teachers in icon form are almost always shown pointing to something at the front of a class, usually with a pointer stick, often at a chalkboard or whiteboard. The issue, she says, is that the default representation of a teacher is not aligned with the current role and expectations of a teacher. Modern pedagogy encourages teachers to be more than a sage on a stage, but that is what the icon implies. Eliza challenges readers to create a new, more modern teacher icon, and we'd love to see what you can do. If you create one, share it with us on Twitter, at EdSurge.
0: The Learning Accelerators' Kira Keen hears this from schools and administrators over and over again. They wish they had communicated about their blended learning efforts with their key stakeholders earlier and more effectively at the beginning of the process. So, she's providing EdSurge's audience with a step-by-step guide on developing a blended learning communications plan. Now, part of the problem, she says, is that the majority of mid and small scale districts manage communication tasks with the existing staff, many of whom unfortunately lack communications know-how. But with the right storytelling, success metrics, and timeline, districts can overcome that.
1: And now it's time for ka <laughs> San Francisco-based BrightBytes raised a $33 million Series C round, led by Insight Venture Partners, with Bessemer Venture Partners, Learn Capital, and Rethink Education also participating. Brightbyte's Clarity Platform helps K-12 administrators and school leaders align school spending with learning outcomes and allocate money more effectively. Montessorium has raised a $1 million round from the Blue Stream Capital Appreciation Fund. The Sioux Falls, North Dakota-based company creates educational apps based on the Montessori learning philosophy. These apps cover a range of skills, and nonprofit Learning Accelerator has received a $500,000 two-year grant from the Carnegie Corporation to support blended learning activities. Congratulations to all of them, and especially to Montessorium, the first North Dakota-based company we have featured on the podcast, and congratulations to all of the other companies who raised money this week.
0: Computer science classes in school can either be notoriously difficult or ridiculously rudimentary. Think making PowerPoint slides. But Francisco Nieto of the Alameda County Office of Education writes this week about a potential middle path. Nieto relates how dozens of high schools around the U.S. are currently piloting a new AP course called Computer Science Principles. The curriculum for the new course is more open-ended than the traditional AP Computer Science course, allowing students to learn any computer language and emphasizing how computers can be creatively used to solve problems. The course is on track to be offered nationwide in the fall of 2016.
1: For today's deep dive, we're going to take a look at the world of teacher blogging. It seems like teacher blogs are everywhere these days, but why? Why are they valuable for teachers? What is it like to write one, and where do you start? To help answer those questions, we talked to Paul France, a teacher, blogger, and EdSurge contributor, whose blog, Inspire Ed, has been running for a few years now.
2: So my name is Paul France. Um, I, uh, I worked for alt school in San Francisco. Um, this past year I was a second through fifth grade upper uh, elementary teacher in a mixed age mixed-age classroom. Um, before that I was a fourth and fifth grade teacher in the suburbs of Chicago. And um, this coming year, I'm actually doing a lot of curriculum development for alt school. I'm going to be in the classrooms here and there, but I'm actually not going to have my own classroom. Um, and then on the side, I, um, I write freelance on my own blog and then uh, also for other, other publications such as Ed Surge, uh, HuffPo, uh, um and then some other, some other smaller ones as well.
0: I'm curious, when and why did you actually start blogging?
2: Um, so I started blogging two and a half years ago now, um, and it was when I was still in you know in Chicago in public school. I think you know it, it was a couple of reasons. I found that when I was reflecting on what I was doing in the classroom, my best mode of communication not only to myself but to others was was through writing. It's just it's my thoughts are more organized when I write them, and I, I really don't know why. Um, and so it was, it ended up being this really great way for me to kind of reflect on what I was doing, but then also share it with other people. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I would really, one of the things I really like to do is work is work with teachers. Um, and at that point I'd only been teaching for about two and a half years, three years. I kind of wanted a, uh, a way to help other teachers and make my voice heard. From there it kind of spiraled because then I got Twitter and then I got, um, you know, just into talking with people more casually via email and stuff. Um, but the, I guess the the, the the real original reason was more so to you know kind of be able to reflect and then make my voice heard.
1: So when you're talking about making your voice heard, Paul, what how would you describe your voice as a teacher or your voice on the blog?
2: Well, I think I think the thing is that um, all teachers have very strong voices and don't always realize how easy it is to get to get their voices out there. So, you know, my, my, my voice when I started the blog was, you know, I'm a public school teacher and I want to show people that you can be in public school and you can be in those constraints and still do some really cool things with your kids. And I think that was, that was my um, original intent then. And and I find that when I look at my blog over the past year, year and a half, that um, I can actually see my own development as a teacher. Hmm. Um, and I think there's a like really the immense power there that by putting yourself out there, by putting, by putting your thoughts online, it, it's, you know, it's a very vulnerable thing to do. Um, and I think it shows that not only am I trying to you know, teach my students to be a thinker and a problem solver, but I'm also living it. You know, I'm showing that I'm being a thinker and a problem solver too. And I'm asking questions and I'm putting my thoughts out there so people will push back on them. And, um, and it's, I don't know. So it's it's, it's, it's at this point, I feel like, that has been the the power of my voice. Not even necessarily that it's that it's my ideas or my voice, but that I'm putting them out there for people to push back on and then it it only opens it only opens the gates for more interaction with other educators and
0: it, it sort of begs the question of is teacher blogging um, better serving the audience that reads it or is it more important for the teacher who's actually writing it?
2: I mean, I don't. I don't think one is better than the other. Um, I think that you, you just need both parts. You need someone to put an idea out there, and you need people to mold it. Um,
1: I'm curious, Paul. Just a quick question is there a, is there a particular blog post that's been most memorable for you
2: that you've done? Um, the one that comes to mind first is the one um, the one that the first one I wrote on Huffington Post, which is coming out to the classroom. Um, it's the most memorable because it's the most personal and it's it's just about, it's about, you know, being a gay teacher. Um, and I think that one, and I think I find that, that the most, the most memorable and the most, um, far reaching posts are the ones that are the most authentic. For a while I, when I was writing, I, I would kind of get angry when I wrote and it was almost like, um, I would really disagree with something and I'd want to make it known that I really disagree with it. So I'd use my blog as kind of a forum for that. And then I started to realize that like what people want, what people want to read about is they want to read about success and they want to read about um, personal growth. And, and the ones that I found that people have connected to most and the ones that I remember are the ones where I really learned something about myself um, or I really learned something about the condition of being a child You know, um, I wrote one that was, it was about perception and how powerful empathy is with kids and how it can be taught at a young age. And, um, and I wrote about it and it ended up being like a, one of my, one of my more successful posts that got a lot of reads and comments and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it was because people could connect with it in a way. I think, I think people saw something, something remarkable you know, in and it was this really positive message about, you know, you can turn conflict into a really great teachable moment and a really great lesson. And most of those really successful posts are about, you know, human connection or about, about something universal that we all share.
0: Well, so, okay. So I'm sure what's going to happen is that as people are listening to this, they think to themselves, now this is something I could do. I'm interested in starting to blog, kind of don't know where to start. So if an educator wants to start blogging, Where should they start? I mean, what sorts of tools should they use? You know, what do you recommend starting out as themes that they write about? Um,
2: Well, first of all, I mean, it probably sounds very simple, but it's it's just you have to find the right platform for you. I love WordPress. I think it's really easy to use, um, but it also has, like, a lot of features. So I think you want something that's kind of in your your zone of proximal development, if you will, and um, WordPress really offers that because you can make it as simple as you want to make it. And I think at first, you know, you should be focusing on the content, so you should be finding a blog, blogging platform that allows you to just focus on your content. So I think that's, that's kind of the first step. Um, I think the second piece of it when you're starting is, is you have to just do it. You have to just put yourself out there and do it, but you know, it's like, you just have to, you just have to start writing. I think people too worry that like, they're like, well, what's my focus? What? I know I was worried about that. Well, I started to see my blog as kind of like siphoning off this one piece of my personality, which was, which was being a teacher. Um, and then when I thought that like, wow, I, I'm not just a teacher, you know, that this blog doesn't have to be just about teaching, it can be about being a person. You know, it can be about growing up, it can be about so many more things. And what I wanted the blog to show is that, you know, teaching and learning are both very embodied experiences. And you can't really separate yourself out. You know, you can't, like, just leave your, uh, leave your crap at the door, if you will. You know, like, you, you come into the classroom a whole person. You leave the classroom a whole person. Um, and I don't think I would have gotten to that place where I found – because I, I feel like now I, I know what my blog's about. Like, I know, I know what I'm – I know that what the focus is. I know where my niche is. But it took me two years to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have figured that out had I not just started
1: Well, um, Paul, we've taken up a lot of your time. Um, Thank you so much for for speaking with us, and uh, we, we really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Paul. My
2: pleasure.
1: So Paul shared some great thoughts on why it's important to blog as a teacher and how to start doing so. But once you get started, how can you improve as a writer? To answer that question, we brought in our very favorite CEO, Betsy Corcoran, who, as a former journalist, knows a thing or two about how to write. Hi, Betsy. Hey, Michael. Welcome back to the show.
3: Oh, I'm glad to be here.
1: (laughs) So let us know, how did you first start writing?
3: Well, you know, there's this uh, wonderful myth that that writers are are born, you know, sort of like uh, raw gemstones that you uncover in the stream. And there may be some of those, um, but I certainly wasn't one. (laughs) Uh, I, like many uh, students in middle school, I... uh, signed up to write for my seventh grade paper and I wrote some stories and uh, then in eighth grade I went back and I distinctly remember the first meeting of the newspaper and the advisors uh, pulled out some stories from the previous year and they started to read a story and they read the beginning of the story and then they said now this this is exactly the kind of story we don't want to write and it was mine and so i quit the newspaper yeah that was really positive encouragement um and uh, i i didn't really get back to writing until i went to college in a big way and there i did write for the school newspaper and probably the most there were a couple of really memorable moments and all of them had to do with going someplace to have an experience, to try to see the world through someone else's eyes. And, um, and then I had an opportunity to work with great writers. So uh, I guess I, was, I spent a little time thinking about what are the things that we do to become great writers or become good writers? And there are a couple. Um, the first is to read good stuff that any time I've gotten stuck on a story uh, and really had a hard time knowing where to take this tale, I've picked up a book that I love where the writing is great and I've gotten carried away by that person's ability to tell a story and that's been really inspirational.
1: Are there particular writers that you think are that you turn to for inspiration in this sense?
3: I love science writers. Richard Preston has been a favorite for a long time. Michael Lewis is a wonderful writer and a fantastic storyteller. He once told me that you try to pull the reader through the page, through every paragraph to keep, keep them with you. Catherine Boo, a longtime Washington Post person who's at The New Yorker, a great Pulitzer Prize winning writer, is wonderful. In education, Annie Murphy Paul has been a great person to read. Tina Fey, comedic but actually delightful writer and a private confession. My husband, George Anders, <laughs> is a terrific writer. And I read a lot of what he writes. So read good stuff is the first rule. Second is, stay, is pay attention to language. Um, Strunk and White was kind of the classic sort of little tiny book about great writing. It's a little outdated. But what it does do a great job of is saying, you know, sentences should be simple. Start with the subject. Let the verb march you through the next piece of the action. Pay attention to the words that you're using. Um, A third point is to really think about who is your audience. I sometimes have almost an image in my mind of someone sitting right on the corner of my computer screen and listening to me. I'm trying to talk to that person. I'm trying to tell them something. So really thinking about who your audience is and writing and speaking to that person is really critical. So, and, then, and then there's one more point, point. Okay. one more point, which is tell me something I don't know. And that's probably where I failed in my, my much benighted efforts in seventh grade. I, I did tell really boring stories. And <laughs> so if I can't tell you a story that would keep your attention, if I can't imagine being in a bar and getting your attention and keeping your attention, then maybe my story isn't that powerful and so strong. So look for a good story, too.
1: So when someone starts writing at EdSurge, when we have a new, a new staff member here, what are some common pieces of advice that, that you give them early on to, to help them improve their writing?
3: Simplify, simplify, simplify. There are plenty of times that my biggest piece of editing is to blow up a sentence and or chop it in two, put a period in the middle, and let them Go on from there. So first, to write simply. Second is to write with vivid language. Um, I want to read you a, a sentence from a, a story that I did not write, um, but that I was reading recently and I happened to look. And uh, we're starting in the middle of the story, but it says, one morning uh, Whitman walked into her boss's office impromptu. The 31-year-old asked her feared boss if he wanted staff feedback about his leadership style. He nodded. With that, Whitman grabbed a felt tip marker and sketched a giant steamroller on a nearby flipboard. This is you, she said. You're too pushy. You're not letting us build consensus leadership. So what's interesting about that is there's a lot of action in that. The verbs are all very simple. Asked, nodded, grabbed, sketched but they're all active verbs. So, yeah, so a lot of times we try to push active verbs into the newsletter.
1: Okay, Betsy, so someone once gave me the piece of advice with writing uh, that I should never, ever use an adverb because they get in the way. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that?
3: That's a great point, Michael. Not only do they get in the way, they take too much space, and they are not very good. So let me give you some <laughs> examples. You could say walk quickly, but instead it would be better to say... You You ran. You could say, walk crazily, but instead, I'd rather hear you say... Uh,
1: you, you drifted, you gallivanted. I gallivanted? Yeah. You
3: could walk slowly, but rather, you should...
1: You could limp or you, lumber.
3: You could walk determinedly, but you could better...
1: Uh, march. March would be a good one for that. That's right. Yeah. Exactly.
3: So there's so many great verbs. Use a great verb. Nudge. Tip, melt, explode, vomit, shine, wink, graze. Vomit? Vomit is on that list? Absolutely, because all of those verbs conjure an immediate image in your mind. Um, So look for verbs, look for strong words, and then say it and end it.
1: That's a good place to end as any. Thank you, Betsy, for being on the show. Thanks. Okay, that's it for today. Big thanks to Paul France for taking time out of his Chicago vacation to chat with us.
0: And thanks, of course, to our CEO, Betsy Corcoran, for sharing our wisdom. And thanks to all of the writers who contributed to EdSurge this week. There were a bunch of you, and we really, really appreciate all of your contributions.
1: And this week, instead of plugging one of our EdSurge services here like we usually do, we're going to ask for some serious feedback. We've been making these shows for a few months now, and we would really love to hear what you're thinking. Do you like the show? Do you dislike the show? Could we improve the show?
0: Are we annoying? Are, Are we annoying? We amazing. What
1: sorts of topics would you like us to cover? Or what sorts of guests would you like us to interview? We, we really want to hear from you. So shoot one of us a note at either Maryjo at edsurge.com or michael at edsurge.com and let us know.
0: And finally, as always, thanks to all of you for continuing to listen to this show and for reading EdSurge. Hit that subscribe button and then tell a friend. All right. I'm Mary Jo Matta.
1: And I'm Michael Winters. We'll see you next week.
0: This is the Ed Surge Podcast.